Welcome to episode 151 of the GTO on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Hanchel Sag. But before I get started, I just want to wish our viewers and listeners a very happy 4th of July Independence Day. And if you don't live in the States, we wish you all the best as we're coming off a big holiday week. We didn't want to be remiss and skip an episode, so we're doing a special holiday episode this week. But let's go to my first topic, and I want to talk about NT. And I caught this on RCR Wireless News. They're deploying an IoT and an AI-infused network to create a live digital twin of the two in front. There's no mention of 5G, but it got me thinking, could bringing 5G into it supercharge things? And from my perspective, it could. I'm a big cyclist. I did triathlon back in the day when I was fit. Right. And I like to watch the Tour de France. I've actually not ever personally witnessed it. I was able to see the Tour de Gialia, which is an Italian race when I was in Rome earlier this, this year. But I think it's really cool and it's an innovative approach. And so what NT is doing is, again, leveraging AI. And as I read through the article, it's going to be able to provide a live visual rendering of the event, including real-time readouts of sundry race stats, consumption for consumption by race teams, broadcasters and spectators. And NTT is doing the same for the women's race. And if you don't recall, or if you don't watch it, a couple of years ago, a fan actually stood in front of a cyclist that caused a massive accident. There were 20 or 30 cyclists that were involved in. And I'm just wondering, could AI prevent that? But I don't know if you caught the news, man, but do you have any thoughts or insights? I didn't, but you did trigger a thought in my head where you could have security staff getting like a beep in their ears 10 seconds ahead of the big group ahead, heading their way. And they could really take yeah. that security right in advance. I think there's a lot of things you can do when you have the data. The one thing I was curious about, do you know whose IoT solution network frequency was powering this? Because it sounds like bits in France, maybe it would be a LoRaWAN thing. I didn't find that detail in, in, the, in that article, but that's a very good point. If I were to guess, there's probably some LoRaWAN tech involved, and that's definitely going to be on the lower end of the spectrum bands, just for propagation and power and all of that. But, but for the so, space that they're covering, maybe it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I knew the answer to that, but it probably warrants some further investigation. But I just thought it was because when there's discussion around digital twin and IoT, it's typically around manufacturing and improving manufacturing yields and that sort of thing. So I just, I thought it was an interesting sort of play on digital twin, apply not to the biggest professional cycling race on the planet. But hey, man, let's go to your first topic. And I didn't catch this. I was enjoying my 4th of July a little bit too much, but you were talking about Dish and the possibility of their merging with Echostar. So I think this just published. So it's fairly hot off the presses, which is probably why you missed it. So don't feel guilty. Um, but this is a story from Monica over at Fierce Wireless. She's writing that Dish is exploring a merger with Echo Star, which for some people who might not know, both companies are actually owned by Charlie Ergen. Um, yeah. And they actually were originally part of the same company and they spun Echo Star off from Dish as Echo Star is more of like a commercial enterprise solution while dish is more of a consumer product and it sounds like he might be 
looking to merge the two companies together, leveraging a lot of the strengths that EchoStar has to their dish while it's trying to roll out its 5G network. There, she said that there were no comments from either companies, but that Semaphore reported this and they are a pretty well-known publication for getting a lot of exclusives. So it's not really clear whether or not this will happen. Nobody's really officially commented on it, but it's definitely a possibility considering that he owns both companies um, and that EchoStar is in a better financial position and does have a lot of spectrum. Just because this is the news for me, but if I were to speculate, obviously Dish has had its financial difficulties. It's had challenges with deploying its next generation, totally cloud native, highly disaggregated topology. And given that, and given some of the financial concerns, this may be his attempt to, I don't know, leverage some synergy with EchoStar and maybe reduce some overhead. I don't know. Was there any detail? I didn't catch the article, but was there any detail around reduction variable expenses, like workforce reduction or anything like that? Or No, this was reported about a day ago, but it's starting to pick up steam today. But it looks like Semaphore was the one who wrote the story and it's more talking about the merging of the two pieces of his telecom empire more yeah. real details on how and why and the why yeah maybe that would come out and it's a holiday week and there are a lot of folks off yeah we'll keep tabs on this and things develop like the whole altimeter thing ffc debacle <laughs> it may become a recurring thing but Let's move to my second topic this week. And I want to talk about T-Mobile. And you and I have talked about T-Mobile and their relationship with Major League Baseball. It's no secret. You're a huge Padres fan. Sorry your team's not doing well this season, buddy. I'm a huge Astros fan. We're doing okay. We're in second place. The Rangers are in front of us. But what I love about T-Mobile is they, they really lean into their uniqueness and focus on things like this. I like to say that they're knocking it out of the park with some 5G fan activations. And at a high level, this was a press release that they issued earlier this week. Just perfect timing. Summer, we're in the we're in the, the thick of baseball season, but some of the things are daring. They're working with MLB Next, that app, delivering VR experiences for fans at T-Mobile Park. That includes 3D data visuals and live broadcast audio. Certainly, we've seen 5G from an audio perspective be deployed in places like the NFL. Um, actually, at Cisco Live, they had... I believe it was the, the CIO of NFL, and she touched on that a little bit. But some of the other things they're doing, no surprise to me, 5G camera feeds during a particular event there at T-Mobile Field where they're doing like a home run derby batting practice. And I think you've talked about that in the past. And then finally, Sirius XM All-Star Futures Dome featuring top minor league prospects. They're testing an automated ball strength system powered by T-Mobile's 5G advanced network solution. And ANS is something that I've talked about. It's their public, private, hybrid, verticalized sort of approach to providing private private networking from a 5G perspective. So it's all pretty cool stuff. Did you catch the news? Anything down? I do wish I was there. I I didn't really think about it until it was too late. But yeah, I think T-Mobile has definitely been very aggressive with the MLB. They have their T-Mobile Tuesdays deal where you get team MLB streaming capabilities through the MLB TV app. Um, so there's a lot of tie-ins between T-Mobile and MLB. And it feels like the Home Run Derby 
and also they own it. And, pretty and much they own it, right? They, they've been sponsoring it for the last few years and they're using like a, a head mounted camera using 5G. There's a lot of interesting stuff that they're trying to do with the MLB and clearly they're investing in sports where Verizon isn't. Verizon owns the NFL and they're really yeah. leaning into the MLB and MLS, which I think is pretty clever because those are younger audiences and those are growing. They're not as big as the NFL, but they're growing. I used to think baseball was dying, but it's been growing with the younger audience and dying with the older audience. Yeah. Um, and MLS is much younger. So I think T-Mobile is really yeah. leaning into leveraging newer teams, newer leagues, the LAFC thing that we talked about a few weeks ago. MLS. They're really being more creative with how they're using their weight and their technology to enhance the fan experience. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It fits really well with their demographic, the end, the end carrier, the unconventional approach, but they're also appealing to the people my age. I'm a little bit older than you are, the 55 plus with certain rate plans and entitlements and, and that sort of thing. You're spot on. Verizon really owns a lion's share of, of NFL with their ultra wideband with AT&T. They're doing a lot of collegiate sponsorships. They're, they sponsor the finals board. And NBA. They do a lot of and, NBA stuff. Yeah, and NBA. And I'll also mention the Red River shootout. My Texas Longhorns against the Oklahoma Sooners. AT&T is headquartered in Dallas. I was going to say, AT&T loves Texas. So yeah, AT&T loves Texas because their headquarters is there and their CEO, Mr. Stonky, resides here as well. But you know, it's great stuff. And it's just, it's another really great demonstration of the power of 5G and Something that we all love, baseball, at least you and I love. But let's move to your second topic. And I did catch this and it did surprise me. So I'll be interested to get your insights here. But you talk about OpenSignal quite a bit. And they just published a recent 5G report. And they call, called Verizon a winner over T-Mobile with respect to its, its experience metrics and uplink measurements. But man, I want to hear more from you because this is surprising to me. Yeah, I think this is, it's a challenging report, mostly because they, the five pillars of 5G experience, it's really confusing to be honest with you, because they have, they have six experience pillars and one coverage pillar. Okay. And then they award winners based on their experience index. So the first four categories are 5G video experience, 5G live video experience, 5G games experience, and 5G voice app experience. Mm -hmm. And then the others are download speed, upload speed, and availability. What doesn't make any sense to me is that how does T-Mobile win on download and availability and just ever so slightly squeak out a loss by like a megabit on uplink, but yeah. losing all experience metrics because experience yeah. are based on an index that open signal has created so i don't really understand how verizon can lose to t-mobile in or win to t-mobile in video experience by a point and then but have half the download speed it's t-mobile's download yeah. speed is over 200 megabits per second yeah, um, Verizon is like a hundred, and I'm really yeah. trying to understand how they're so close to each other. Even AT and T is a sixty, so like I don't really understand their index 
I think they talk about in more detail, but it's not really, it doesn't, the numbers don't really make that much sense to me. If they're so far apart in downlinking coverage, why is the experience so close? Yeah. When I saw this, I didn't dig into it. So I'm glad you picked it as a topic this week. I wanted to call bullshit on that because when you look at how much further ahead T-Mobile is with not only just their overall spectrum deployment, low, mid, and high, but just the fact that they've been first to SA and that Verizon is still deploying its mid-band, C-band footprint, it just, it calls into question whether there's some manipulation here going on, whether you know, Verizon can manipulate some of whatever feeds into the indices that like tally, tally a winner, tally a loser. But yeah, something smells a well, little. One sp- thing I'll say is they do define how these experiences are quantified. I'll also say that Verizon actually only won on upload speed by 0.3 megabits per second. So not even okay. a whole megabit. Um, but they say that like their voice app experience quantifies the experience of open signal users when using over-the-top voice apps, such as, such as WhatsApp, Skype, and Facebook Messenger on an mm-hmm. operator's 5G network. It uses a model derived from the ITU approach for quantifying overall vol- voice quality and a series of calibrated technical parameters. Okay. This model sounds- characterizes the exact relationship between the technical measurements and a perceived call quality. I don't know, man. Sounds like a lot of gobbledygook to me. I hate to be a Verizonator. I probably poke them a little bit too much, but they've been dead last in this race to 5G. But I've been looking at some other metrics and it seems like Verizon's growth towards competing with T-Mobile has slowed. And I think that's because most of the mid-band that they have to deploy in dense urban areas and suburban areas is out now. So most of their customers that are going to be able to use this technology are using it. We're already on iPhone 14, yeah. 13, 12. So we're three generations of iPhones that have 5G. Same with Android phones. At this point, most people that are going to use 5G are using it. And yeah. if they, most people who are, have 5G service have it available. So I think Verizon and AT&T, AT&T still has some room for improvement and rollout for their network because they started about yeah. a year ago. Verizon is now, what, 18 months down this path? And I think Verizon probably has another six to 12 months until they're fully built out. And I think AT&T might have a little bit longer, but I just don't see them catching T-Mobile on T-Mobile's at 200 megabits per second now. And they haven't even, they don't even have their C-band stuff yet. Yeah. There's, I just think that T-Mobile kind of will, will own this speed crown for the foreseeable future. And I think Verizon's going to lose the upload speed um, that they got here with open signal fairly shortly once they get the new C-band spectrum, because they could use a lot of that for uplink. Yeah, no, solid insights there with Randon. Open signal, it just seems like there's just like this movement back and forth. They're trying to pay homage to the operator, the mobile network operator on the quarter. But yeah, I think we've analyzed and and paralyzed the battle one quite a bit. But let me go to my third and final, and I'll be quick on this one. But I thought this was interesting. So the NTIA, so that's the National Telecommunications and Information Administration released additional funding to tribal entities, Native American areas in, in, in the U.S. And this grant was $8.39 million to 17 entities. And this is coming out of a nearly $3 billion 
program called the Tribal Broadband Connectivity Program. And it's part of this Infrastructure and Investments and Jobs Act that was passed a couple of years ago in 21. And it just got me thinking, obviously, there isn't a lot of specific detail behind what's going to get deployed, but certainly there are requirements that certain speeds upload and download have to be met with respect to, and the goal is a hybrid fiber wireless network with speeds above 25 uh, megabits per second and under 100 millisecond latency for basically over 600 locations on what's called the Fisher, and I'm going to mispronounce it, Pote, P-A-I-U-T-E reservation. Those are, that's a pretty low bar. Again, there's no specific reference to like how this is all going to get done, but it got me thinking, could 5G fixed wireless access play a role? We were talking about all three of the tier one nodes in the U.S. AT&T is making a considered investment in Tribal. Um, they've had a number of announcements where they're, they're investing, they're actually over-investing in these areas where they're going to take a longer time for them to get a payback from a fiber perspective. But certainly in, in tribal nations, as that cyber infrastructure gets built down, it can serve as backhaul for 5G and for 5G fixed wireless access. As in it, because as we've also discussed, I believe, on prior podcasts, as you put FWA users on that network, they tend to consume a hell of a lot more data than a mobile user, right? Definitely. Yeah, you get to some theoretical limits where you bomb out and you've got to add additional infrastructure in the form in an FWA scenario, you've got to densify with small cells and macro cells and that sort of thing. It just got me thinking that should be part of the plan. And I'm sure all the MNOs are going to be buying and submitting their RFPs and that sort of thing for this. I mean, that, that amount that was released this, this just recently isn't a ton of money in the big scheme of things, but when you look at the overall macro program, I didn't realize that program was funded with $3 billion. That's a significant amount of money. And you could do a lot with fixed wireless access, in my perspective, and even subsidize the, the, the fiber for backhaul. But don't know if you caught it. This was an article that was published by Pierce Telecom. It was Masha. Did you mention that Masha published another article that you spoke about today? No, that was uh, Monica. Monica, okay. But um, Masha... Yeah, I did did hear about this. And honestly, I think one of the biggest challenges for a lot of these reservations is delivering internet connectivity to them. Actually, when these reservations are quite a bit larger in the West. And yeah, I just think helping using fixed wireless, especially when you think about the terrain that a lot of these reservations are on, being able to put maybe a millimeter wave fixed wireless deployment on top of a mountain. As long as it's not like a sacred mountain or something, you can really help to improve the quality of life for a lot of these people that I think in a lot of ways, the U.S. government hasn't really treated that well. So I think it's really important that the government is finding ways to improve internet coverage and access because ultimately internet is a, is the great equalizer in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. I hope that they're able to take these funds and really make good use of them to deploy it serious 5g networks that that improve people's lives yeah i know i agree and there's a lot of impoverished parts of tribal nations and it's it gets back to the visual divide when you can provide reliable connectivity that can create all types of opportunities for economic job growth new hybrid work from home 
the, these folks can find new opportunities as well. And I'll just mention, it's not a direct parallel to what we're talking about, but I did publish an article this week about an experience that I had here. I'm in my second home in Isle Murata for the week and just a lack or not a lack of connectivity, but basically the public mobile network bombing out during an event where the Rotary Club of Isle Murata was selling concessions to raise money for scholarships for kids in the Florida Keys that are, that are underprivileged. Um, it just got me thinking about, wow, th- there are so many different things that, that municipalities can consider, whether it's fixed wireless access or it's private networking. So it just made me think about that article. So just wanted to share it like viewers and listeners that I did post that today. And I talk about really more or less an opportunity for private networking in the Florida Keys to support the tourism industry much different than tribal nations that are struggling with unemployment and some levels of poverty. But here, the service industry, it's dominant. Bartenders, fishing charters, snorkel excursions, even some of the local bars and restaurants. And connectivity, I point out how connectivity can really drive a better tourism experience and, but most importantly, maximize revenue for an industry like tourism. But with that, that shameless plug, Let's go to your third and final topic. And you want to talk about another really cool activation like I talked about earlier, but this is with Wimbledon and Vodafone. Yeah, so this is a Wimbledon-Vodafone partnership. And basically what they're doing is they're partnering with a company called GiveVision that creates headsets that have smartphones inside of them that allow for vision-impaired users to actually be able to more easily see what's happening on the court. And they're able to bring these images closer to the eye and stimulate photoreceptors in ways so that sight can be regained. And they're using 5G to power this experience because previously fans who use these headsets with this technology would have to be within 10 to 20 meters of a transmitter box Mm -hmm. um, in a predetermined accessibility zone. Mm -hmm. Um, And now with 5G, they're able to experience this in any part of the stadium without having to sit in a special section and can experience the match together with their friends and family as opposed to having to sit in a special section so they can enjoy it. And it's really cool because this is something that I think enhances the user experience for users who might otherwise not go to an event like this because they know that they can't see anything. Um, And it's just really exciting because this is a really powerful application of 5G that I think realize realizes the potential of the technology to enhance something that already existed before it, but improves accessibility to that. Um, and maybe even it helps scale technology to a point where it can be more viable in more places. And maybe they, they can deploy this in more arenas rather than having to pick and choose which court or which stadium they deploy it in. Because I don't know if you've ever been to Wimbledon, but there's a center court, main court, and then there's a bunch of side courts. And Right. This could definitely be one of those things where you could deploy one central uh, compute solution in the whole facility and every single court is enabled by it. And I think that's really something that would help to improve access and enjoyment yeah. people who, who have impaired vision. Yeah, no, I think it's a fantastic, again, demonstration of the power of 5G, just the whole inclusivity aspect of it. And to your point, often people that have impairments, they they can enjoy some of the simple things that the, those of us without impairments enjoy. And so I think the exclusivity aspect of this is really powerful. 
I haven't been to Wimbledon, but I've seen the layout and you're absolutely right. Scalability of it could be potentially exciting. I think, and just beyond this use case, I think the potential for people that are sight impaired, there could be other use cases and applications. And that's often the case with, with a technology or with a technology demonstration that it gets really smart people and developers and engineers and software engineers stimulated, right? And it's just, it's this whole notion. I like to, it's one of my catchphrases, competition drives innovation. That was a great use case. I didn't catch that. So I appreciate you sharing it, my friend. But hey, it's been another great podcast as we wrap up our 4th of July week. But why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners on this week's topic is interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific RG topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Tech and I'm at Anshul Sock. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in next week. And don't forget to rate and subscribe.